You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Uh, it is... Oh, I was going to say what the date was, but even that seems very... like a lot of effort right now. It's the 7th of May. I'm very excited because while I sit here in my very chilly library... Uh, I'm plotting for two pretty big events in my publishing calendar this week. Uh, next Saturday, I'll be staffing a table at the indie, the the Tassie Indie Author Book Fair, which I had so much fun at last year. I'm very excited to be back. Uh, so if you are in Hobart or the general uh, area around southern Tasmania, uh, it's going to be a fab, another fabulous fair down on the wharf in one of the cozy piers brook street uh pier we yeah i'll be selling paperbacks uh there'll be lucky dips which my daughter and i've been wrapping this weekend um all sorts of 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 fun things i have some uh, artwork teasers to show people about books that will be released next year so yeah i'm very much looking forward to doing a little bit of hand-selling to readers. That's going to be fun. Uh, And as it turns out, I've released at least four books since the last book fair, so there's plenty for people to catch up on. Also, coming this week, uh, is my first Kickstarter since 2020. The ratcheting international postage that happened over COVID was very alarming especially as it happened during my last uh kickstarter campaign and fulfillment so it it put me off for a little while but i do love the energy that comes from running a a crowdfunding campaign i get very excited by it and so yeah i'm i'm getting back into it with a brand new novel it is a cozy science fiction time travel with lots of history in jokes and just general geekery it's a very indulgent novel I've had lots of fun writing it I think people have a lot of fun reading it it's very much a um, comfort read escape is what I'm hitting for this book about time travel and cats mostly um, yeah just talking cats and time travel what could be better so in a few days I'll be launching that kickstarter and here on the podcast i will be doing a kickstarter special episode next week Uh, so you can send me your questions by any social media where we're connected by email uh reply to my newsletter however you want to get in touch with me ask me questions they don't have to be about the kickstarter they can just be general ask tansy questions i had a lot of fun with the last one and as it turns out i only need a small handful of questions to fill a whole episode so um yeah get in touch so that's what's happening next week and then i'll continue with our current serial which is of course of knives and night blooms this week chapter eight at the temple of many knives calyx had slept badly she was not yet accustomed to the light sway of a riverboat even one tethered to a nightlock. Her own troubled thoughts had not helped matters. It was nearly dawn when she finally sank into proper sleep, and then 
A few hours later, she startled awake to find her daughter's side of the bed not only empty, but cold. She's fine, said a voice. Calix froze, her eyes sliding to the door. It was closed, with Icaros leaning against it. He was still and calm as if he'd been standing there for some time, observing her in her sleep. Not creepy at all. Where is Nimue? she asked, gathering her royal dignity around her as she sat up. The embroidered nightrobe that her maid had packed for the journey was a thoroughly matronly garment. She might as well have been wearing a padded dressing gown or a suit of armour. It had been fine for the first night as they made their way across the mountain pass, but was far too much for the sticky summer nights on the river. Presumably there were a few lighter sleeping garments packed into the trunks with the trousseau intended to be used after her wedding, but that didn't help Calix now. With the warm night air of the River Divine making the night robe clammy and too heavy under blankets. Icarus shrugged, flirting with Dio, walking around in circles, learning knife skills from Valeria. Your daughter's had a busy morning. Calix narrowed her eyes at him. I expect you to take better care of her. I'm not her nanny. My job is to get you both to Phoenix Burning, safe and sound. If you want someone to protect her from pretty faces and the dangerous influence of assassins, you picked the wrong team. Your job is to serve me, Calix said fiercely, tugging at the magical threads that bound them. Icarus winced, though he held fast and pretended to be unmoved by the pressure of the threads. I am aware. Awake only a minute and she was already losing control. She had to do better than this. Be better. But first, she had to find out what was written on her back. Calix had been rattled last night when Mardi casually mentioned what she'd seen in the baths. She fled instead of asking for help. And Icarus, Icarus was the one whose loyalty she needed to test. I need you to do something for me, she told him now, sliding out of bed. She bunched the night robe in her hands and pulled it off in one swift movement. She was naked underneath. I think you've wildly underestimated my intentions here, said the priest. Calix turned her back to him. She'd never stood naked before any man except her husband. In the Imperium, there were so many women trained as chirurgeons, healers and mages, there was no need for such things. But this was the Divine Kingdom, and while Calix had no wish to indulge some of their customs, such as the criminal restrictions on magic that were imposed on so many women, if she had learned anything at the Hanging Market, it was that bodily modesty was not common in this country. What do you see? she asked Icarus, her own voice trembling a little. What do you see on my back? Scars, he replied, his tone softer than she'd imagined possible. Quite a few scars. The words, priest, are there words on my skin? Tell me. She heard him step closer. There are. 
How many? Thirteen words, two lines. She gasped out a breath of relief. Gods be thankful. Poetry on your back, Marty had said with a curious smile, as if inviting Calix to explain it. Calix, shocked into silence, had imagined there might be whole stanzas on there already. She had not been careful enough, had not been checking. This was one of the hazards of travelling without a maid. Two lines was manageable. It was not too late to cut the rot out of her. You sound surprised, said Icaros, inviting her to explain more. Calix remembered who he was, who she was, and that she was naked. That is none of your concern, she said, moving to the travel trunk and pulling out a set of silk day robes, pink, turquoise, purple. She dressed herself slowly, not wanting him to see how much it bothered her. Hopefully her new husband would not require her to stand about naked in the presence of other men. This experiment had demonstrated it was not to her taste. Do you want me to write down the words? Icarus asked abruptly. That would be appreciated. She would not show further relief at him asking the question. She was glad he thought of it so she did not have to beg him. By the time Calix had arranged her robes to her satisfaction, Icarus had written out the two lines of poetry on a sheet of paper in bright, wet, black ink. At last, to the city of petals rising, she rode on honeyed cloud. Oh, she knew those lines. One of the epic poets, a Janodal perhaps, or Bathor, not a sonnet then, or a quintain. She could breathe. She had time. Icarus regarded her thoughtfully, blotting the black ink from his fingers. I have questions. Do not ask them, Calix said immediately. An order, not a request. He tilted his head at her, and for a moment she saw nothing but rage in his eyes, as he realised the questions would no longer rise to his tongue. It was almost comforting to be reminded that he hated her. Apparently, Icarus said a moment later, I have nothing further to say. I need a surgeon, she informed him, as soon as possible. Before we reach the city, can we find one on the river, or will we need to divert inland? He blinked slowly, as if considering all the questions he was no longer permitted to ask. The knights of the Bright Owl do rather cluster along the River Divine, almost as if this is the most dangerous part of the country. The knights of the Bright Owl, Calix repeated. Is that what you call healers? Icarus gave her a swift, sharp grin, with no humour in it. The knights are to the Bright Owl, what I and my colleagues are to the Dark Raven. Calix huffed impatiently at him, for talking around the question instead of answering it. Yes, said Icarus, they are healers. There's a temple harbour coming up soon, and I think there's a temple of many knives among them. 
Their clientele are rather select, but I get the impression you're a rather important person. I'm sure they'll make room for you. Thank you. She frowned at him. That information came rather readily to hand. Icaros spread his hands wide. I am apparently here to serve. Are you very familiar with all the temples up and down the River Divine? I may have asked our captain, which we can expect to pass over the course of our journey. Why? He did not answer at first. A small rebellion. Calix waited. After a minute or two of awkward silence, during which she did not repeat the question, Icaros twisted his face in discomfort and spat what appeared to be half a geranium into his palm. I thought it might be interesting to learn if the magical communication setbacks of the Black Raven's temples are a more widespread phenomenon. It would indeed, Calix agreed. That was a good thought. Icaros capped the ink bottle and got to his feet. However, as I am no longer able to ask questions, I imagine my detective skills will be rather lacking from now on. Calix almost laughed. You may ask questions of other people, she allowed. Once more that burst of fury in his eyes, which he smoothed out entirely before he spoke. Such a benevolent mistress you are, said Icarus. Dio had always found that food aboard Riverboat was much the same, whether you were crew or passenger. Rice or noodles in large quantities, dressed with eggs or eel or shellfish or vegetables, the sauces sweet and salty. Soup. There was always a pot of soup boiling away in the galley. One of the benefits of boat travel was that the cooking fire never went out. Dio imagined that the soup they ate today had been endlessly cycling with fresh water and ingredients tipped in every day for months or even years. It tasted good and filled you up. Best not to think too closely about it. Tonight, berthed in a small harbour, servicing a cluster of temples, they ate on the deck, waiting for Calix to return. She'd only taken Icarus with her, and had not told anyone on board anything else, including which of the temples she so urgently needed to visit. No temple of death this time, at least, though there was one for the Knights of the Bright Owl of Healing, one for the clerics of the Silver Hawk, God of War, and one for the mystics of the Grey Lark, goddess of the hearth, fertility and protection. Perhaps Calix was keen to get pregnant or prevent a pregnancy. None of Dio's business. As he ate his soup and rice, he watched a small cohort of vigils patrol the harbour in their black and gold uniforms. As always, he tried not to hate them for having the job he had been struggling to qualify for in so long. As always... He mostly failed in the attempt. Nimue had gone to bed before supper, agitated at her mother's odd behaviour. Bedding in, Dio heard one of the sailors say to the captain in passing, No word from the mistress yet? She said it might take a while, said the captain, in a gruff, disapproving voice.
Dio leaned back against the side of the boat. It was odd for him having nothing to do. He'd been staying with auntie after auntie all year, and that meant a plethora of chores and tasks when he wasn't cramming his head, with the words that all kept falling out before the next examination came along. Nearby he heard Mardi and Valeria conversing quietly over their own bowls of rice and soup. They must assume no one could hear them, as they sat quite a distance from Dio and the rest of the crew. But this was the River Divine at nightfall. Words always travelled further than the speaker intended. Useful for sailors shouting urgent instructions back and forth, more useful still for the quiet eavesdropper. What do you know? Valeria asked, stabbing a piece of roast eel from her own bowl and adding it to Mardi's, taking in return three pieces of mushroom. There's a curse of sorts, murmured Mardi. I've heard of it before, not here, but abroad. You and Bors and your travels, said Valeria, rolling her eyes dramatically, never letting us forget how worldly you are. You're not as funny as you think you are, dear heart, replied Mardi, sounding long-suffering. Funny, that's what the last man who kept secrets from me said, just before I stabbed him three times. Tell me about the curse. I could be wrong, said Mardi. And then she did mutter a line or two that was too quiet even for Dio to hear. But it was poetry. At least it looked like it. Didn't you notice in the baths? I saw the scars. The woman I heard about had a whole sonnet on her thigh. A classical piece by Adelius. It appeared line by line over years. By magic, Valeria said sceptically. We just sailed past a winged dolphin. Don't tell me you don't believe in magic. Here on the River Divine. I believe in magic, Valeria said. I don't believe in poetry. You think our high and mighty petal is cursed? That woman with the sonnet. She was found dead, hours after the last couplet appeared on her skin. Oh, said Valeria, so this is a ghost story. What I'm saying, Mardi hissed, is that I was right all along. No need to fight the bond. Our mistress will be dead soon enough and we will be free. A moment later, Dio heard an urgent rustling sound. When he glanced over, he saw Mardi throwing up bright purple blossoms over the side of the boat. Better that than through your tear ducts, said Valeria. Believe me. Calix left the Temple of Many Knives with a new scar on her back, tightly bandaged, and three vials of a pain-relieving draught that smelled of violets and mercury. The night surgeon had wanted to keep her longer, but she could not afford too much of a delay. According to the captain, they should have reached the Eye of the Basilisk today, if not for her stop, which meant they were now at least half a day behind the original schedule. Calix was tempted to slow their voyage even further. She was not looking forward to what awaited her at the end of this river. She had bought herself more time, at least. Thank goodness for Marty Marinci's sharp eyes, 
or she might not have known about the new poem quite so soon. The silken hair was quiet as Calix crossed the harbour with Icaros at her side. He had stayed with her through all of it. The surgery, the recovery, always eagle-eyed in case that fourth assassin turned up to finish her off once and for all. Thank you for your assistance today, she said, as he handed her up onto the quiet, dark deck of the riverboat. Don't mistake it for kindness, said Icarus. I don't have a lot of choice in my actions these days. The air was warm, but Calix was feeling shaky and aware of the creeping pain beginning to descend as the first wave of anaesthesia wore off. She shivered. Why do you despise me so much? You mean other than you stealing my freedom? She gaped at him. You were literally trying to kill me at the time. I hardly think a death merchant can claim moral high ground. His eyes were bright as they passed a string of lanterns outside Calix's own cabin. My God does not accept contracts on the innocent. If he accepted you as a sacrifice, you earned it. I forgot I was talking with a man of faith, Calix snapped. Given that your God does not usually accept four contracts for the same mark, how are you to know the choice of victim was not also an administrative error? Errors like that don't happen, said Icarus. He waved her towards the door of the cabin. Valeria was on the roof, watching them both with unblinking eyes playing sentry. I see, said Calix. The pain was making her irritable. She would have to take a vial of that potion soon. It upsets you, does it, to consider the possibility? I wonder how many other lives you took over the years that may have been subject to similar administrative errors. Even condemned criminals are allowed time for an appeal between sentencing and execution. Icarus's mouth twitched a little, as if he found her amusing. Not in this country. Oh, this country! Calix moaned in frustration, and she was trapped here. Forever in a best-case scenario. How can you stand it? Icarus glanced up, briefly meeting Valeria's gaze. Practice, he said. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional and continuing custodians of Lutruita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates, follow me on Twitter at TansyRR, and if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. Uh, check out my Kickstarter midweek, come visit me at the Indie Book Fair, and send me any questions you have for next week's Ask Tansy episode. See you then. Thank you.